Today's scripture is Psalm 40, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry mud, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the crowd, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more that can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame. <laughs> who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we're going to close the summer series of the Psalms with this one, with Psalm 40. You know, if you're familiar with the Psalms in the Bible, you know Psalm 40 is, is a favorite. E even you too has a version of Psalm 40. Look it up. It's called 40. It's old. It's an old one. And actually, we, people who are familiar with the Psalms love to hear this one. They love to hear about how David in his distress cried out to God. David's telling the story. He, he cried out to God in his distress. He says God heard him. God answered his cry. And it's very, very vivid language. He says that God pulled him out of the pit of destruction. He pulled him out of the mire, out of the mud, and he, he set his feet firmly on the rock. David says. And he says in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. 
Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. If you follow the God of the Bible, you know what David's talking about. There are times when he changes you, when he moves you in such a way that you feel like you've got a new song to sing. Sometimes it's literal. David literally wrote a song. Sometimes I have written songs because God has worked in my life in such a way. It could just be figurative. You feel like singing a new song because of what God has showed you. This describes, I think, what is called the joy of the Lord. David saying, the Lord worked in me in such a way that I have sung a new song. I like to think of that as the joy of the Lord. But some people look at the psalm and they wonder, is it really about joy or is it about distress? Because if you look at the end of the psalm, look at Psalm 17, he ends with these words, as for me, I am poor and needy. And he cries out again to the Lord and says, do not delay, oh my God. So is it, a, is it a psalm about joy or is it a psalm about distress? Well, I honestly think it's both. And if you follow this God, you, you know that it can be both at the same time. David, in his distress, had the joy of the Lord. Let me define joy. It's really hard to get a hold of if you've ever tried to really think about what joy is. I'm just going to partially define it for our purposes today from, from a biblical sense. Joy is its not happiness. It's not feeling happy or getting a high or a rush or, or a, um, an endorphin uh, surge, although I think something chemical and physiological is happening when human beings experience joy. But the kind of joy that we see from, the, from those who believe in the God of the Bible, it's, it's different than happiness or, uh, or pleasure. Happiness is what you feel when things have gone well. Joy is what you have regardless of how things have been going. And I'll come back to that definition and expand on it a little bit later. But for our purposes today, this is what I want, to, I want to share with you from Psalm 40. That the Christian must seek God's joy more, more than God's help in our weakness. I put, I'm going to put the word almost in there. The Christian must seek God's joy almost more than seeking God's help in our distress. And as we unpack Psalm 40 and how David sang and how he cried out to the Lord and still experienced joy, we're going to talk about the presence of joy in weakness. And we're going to also talk about the priority of joy in, in what we seek when we are struggling. And finally, the true source of joy. So the presence of joy in our weakness, the priority that joy needs to take in our moments of weakness, and finally, the source of joy through our weaknesses, all right? So the presence of joy and weakness is really what believers in the God of the Bible have always exhibited. The saints of history, even uh, when you read the New Testament and you read the Old Testament and you see the faithful, you see the presence of joy even in their weakness. And David's life was full of that, uh, that, that tension. Joy in moments of great weakness. And here, Psalm 40, he, he records just one of them. He says to God, listen to verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you, he says. 
I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Why is it that David could talk that way in a, in a stressful situation? Why could David recall and remember God's past goodness and praise God in that moment of weakness? Why is he able to do that? Well, I think the answer is in verse 11. He says, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy for me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Now, steadfast love right there, that's a special type of love. That's the Hebrew word hesed. It's a big deal in the Old Testament. David uses it a lot. This type of love, this steadfast love, it is, it is covenant love. It is stick to you forever love. It is, I am going to love you, not because of how you behave, but because I have promised to love you. It's everlasting commitment love. It's actually, I think, the bedrock that David's talking about in verse 2. When David was dragged out of the mud and put on a rock, that's the rock. David was put on the rock of God's steadfast love. The reason that we can have joy in trials is because God's steadfast love always preserves us. That's the foundation of it. Another example from Scripture is the Apostle Paul. If you look at Acts chapter 16, Paul and his associates Silas and Timothy were doing great work. Amazing things were happening in the Greek city of Philippi. And so the powers that be didn't like it. So they dragged Paul and Silas in public. They beat them. The magistrates sent them to prison unjustly. Uh, no sentence. They were Roman citizens, but they beat them and they threw them into prison. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, that in the middle of the night, while they were in prison, think about this. You're in a strange foreign city. You've just been dragged unjustly into prison after having been beaten publicly. And Luke tells us about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Have you ever heard people singing around the deathbed of a loved one. Maybe some of you medical professionals have heard songs coming out of hospital rooms. I've done that before in my own life, and as a pastor, I've had the privilege of singing over people at their deathbeds. We've done that uh, for some of my own loved ones in my life. And the doctors and the nurses and the other patients and their visitors are listening. And that really is how joy works in the Christian life. God's presence somehow moves you to worship. And that worship, it's, it spills out somehow. It just spills out and people notice it. Now the joy of the Lord doesn't always express itself in, in loud praise. You don't have to be an extrovert and a vocal processor or a musician to experience the joy of the Lord, even in introverts, even in cerebral people. The joy of the Lord has a way of moving you so that it spills out and people notice it. And so I think we can expand on our definition of joy by going to C.S. Lewis in his own autobiographical sketch called Surprised by Joy. He talks about what joy, according to his experience, is. And, and, and Lewis said, joy is really not, it's not, it's not, um, 
It's not pleasure, and it's not happiness, it's something else. He said, joy is an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Joy is like waiting for Christmas morning. It's, it's, it's the excitement in the book. It's just what it feels like waiting for Christmas morning as a kid. Joy is waiting for your wedding day before it's there. Joy is, is waiting to be reconnected with an old friend that you haven't seen in a long time. Joy is thinking about what it will be like for peace to come back into that broken relationship, for, for justice, for righteousness to come into our society, when, when you think of what that might be like someday, that's joy. But you know that these moments, and even these people, even our best people, can't live up to our anticipation of what it would be like to be with them again. And joy is that anticipation. And so joy, from David's perspective here, is a longing for him who is perfect, a longing for him who is beautiful, who is righteous and holy and just. Joy is anticipating the presence of the one who is true, who is light, who is love. And, and even in that anticipation, we discover that it's enough. Even though you do not see Jesus, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, you're filled, you, you don't see him and yet you love him and you're filled with, what did Peter say? An inexpressible joy. Guy you haven't even seen yet. But even just anticipating him and thinking about him, you're filled with a, an inexpressible joy because you're receiving, Peter said, the salvation of your souls. That's what biblical joy is all about. Even longing for God is enough. That's why Jesus was able to say in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Or as Nehemiah said to the struggling, scared, returned exiles in Israel, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if joy is something that can be present in our moments of weakness, guess what? You are always free to pursue it. There's never a moment where you cannot pursue the joy of the Lord. The believer must prioritize then the pursuit of joy over meditating on weakness and pursuing relief to our weakness and suffering. We have to focus less on our weakness and be relieved of it and focus more on Him. But pain and fear and loss and um, anger and shame and jealousy, all the things that, all the, these powerful emotions that rage with, within us when we experience what David's experienced, when we experience everything that's going on in our lives and in our society, these are powerful emotions. And look, they're going to consume us and handicap us unless we can endure them well. They're not going to go away like this. So they're going to consume us if we can't endure them well. And joy is our help in enduring these things well. So what I'm saying to you today is seek God's joy in trials before you seek God's deliverance from your trials. You have to prioritize joy, His joy, above His relief. 
of course we want help, right? I mean, David's saying, I need help now. That's the beauty of, you know, the, the New Testament, it was Jesus is coming back, and that's our hope. The Old Testament is, we are suffering right now, we need help right now. And we've got we've to have both of those tensions. It's important. So of course we want help now. We need help now. God knows that. And he, want, he, he wants us to want his help. But check this out. He wants you to want him more than just wanting him for his help. He wants you to want him most. George Mueller was famous in the 1800s in Britain to basically establish, establishing what we know as Sunday school teaching, educating adults and children, and, and, and he was the father of the modern-day orphanage. Uh, ministry to orphans his entire life, and he was a man of prayer. And as you read his journals, he was a man of joy. He would never ask for money. He had no budget. People just gave to his ministry. And he was a man of, uh, he was a man of trust, of simple trust. And he said this about the joy of the Lord. In one of his journals, he said, I saw that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. He said this was his first objective, to get happy in Jesus. He said how I might get my soul into a happy state and, and how my inner man might be nourished. And he's not talking about happiness as in like instant pleasure. He's talking about joy. Because in another place, he said something very, sim something very similar. He said, other things may press upon you. But I deliberately repeat, it's of the supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. And he said that the secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. And I think the Psalms show us, through meditation and prayer, that's, that's why we're doing the Psalms every summer, to learn how to meditate. And the Psalms show us that through meditating on the Word of God and prayer, we can have joy in any circumstance. Another way to prioritize the pursuit of joy in moments of weakness is to keep singing. To keep on singing. I know that's hard to face, guys, I know. Um, but you know, some, some of you don't like to sing because uh, maybe you've been told or you think that you don't have a good voice and you're self-conscious of singing. By the way, the louder everybody sings, the less people will hear themselves singing. Just saying. So some incentive there to sing. Um, you just may not think intellectually that singing makes a whole lot of sense. Why bother? You're here to hear the word and think and learn. Why do you have to sing? And frankly, it's hard to mess. I know, I know. Um, but singing is critical for Christians. It's critical for the church because singing is an expression of the joy of the Lord. Newsflash, there are 150 songs in the Old Testament that were composed as prayers, sung prayers on purpose. Many of them talk about grief and suffering and fear and anxiety and anger. These are songs. Keep singing. We have to keep singing because it is, it is one of the easiest ways to express and practice the joy of the Lord. So prioritize God's joy in your trials over your desire to be delivered from your trials. 
Deliverance, healing, justice, reconciliation, we know this, they may have to wait. We don't get them, the best things don't come simply and easily in this world or right away. But joy can be yours right now. The priority of the quick fix is robbing us of our joy. Let me tell you what I mean by the quick fix. Being okay, having to feel okay at all times is the quick fix. Not being able to deal with the uneasiness and the pressure, having, having to be okay all the time is quick fix theology. Having to feel good now, having to be right now, having to win now, having to understand what we're going through now is the quick fix. And all of this, all of this is really what we're pursuing most in times of weakness, isn't it? Isn't that the truth? These are all the things that we're pursuing most. Not his joy, not him. And look, if you won't pursue the joy of the Lord, if you refuse to pursue his joy, and your troubles don't lift, we're, we're, we're going to be angry, bitter people for most of our lives. If you will not pursue the joy of the Lord, and your troubles do lift, you're going to be just as unprepared the next time trouble hits. Because you will not have practiced the joy of the Lord. You'll be out of shape. If you will not practice the joy of the Lord and seek it, and your troubles do lift, here's something else that might happen. You'll attribute your relief to something you have done. You'll attribute your relief to something someone has done, or said, or a drug, or, or a technique, a therapy, or a philosophy, or a system, or a person. And these may all be very, very, very good things that God has given to us. But if we do not pursue the joy of the Lord when trouble lifts, we don't attribute the relief to Him. And we end up sinning. We end up sinning in all of these ways by denying that the joy of the Lord truly comes from His steadfast love, as David has told us already in this song. The source of joy is the steadfast love of the Lord. And the quick fix way of thinking and doing life um, it's robbing us of our joy. So, so look, this source of joy, the steadfast love of the Lord, believing in it and knowing that it's yours, it really can only come through weakness. You don't fully understand that you have the joy, that you have the steadfast love of the Lord unless you walk through weakness. David, there's this curious verse, verse seven, uh, verses 7 and 8, David says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. You know, the, um, we know, if you look at the book of 2 Samuel, you know that David failed big. I mean, he's pretty exemplary saint, but a couple of times, I mean, he failed big. And uh, we know that this, isn't, this wasn't always true of David. He was a man after God's own heart, but at times David did not delight in the law of God. He did not delight in doing God's will. He even says in verse 12 of this psalm, My iniquities have overtaken me. They are more than the hairs on my head. But in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews 
He said, he said in Hebrews chapter 10, hey, Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, they're not ultimately about David because he failed this. They're ultimately about David's, David's ancestor, his great, I'm sorry, his great descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author says, see, Jesus is the one who delighted to do God's will always. And, and then he writes, and by that, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he says two chapters later in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Don't, don't you feel like six months ago you, we were doing a sprint? Now we're doing a marathon. And we're getting tired, right? He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. This is why you got to look to Jesus. This is where the joy comes from. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, before the joy that was set before him, hear those words, the joy that was set before Jesus endured the cross. You see, the joy of our reconciliation to God is what propelled Jesus to endure the cross. The joy of reconciling all creation and all things in you and me to his heavenly Father is what propelled Jesus to suffer and die a horrible, humiliating Jesus became weak and carried your sins and carried our sins and carried the weight of the world and he lost he, on the cross. Jesus lost the eternal joy that he always knew, he always had with his heavenly Father and with God, the Holy Spirit. He lost sharing that joy when he hung on the cross with our sins. And so we see that Jesus became weak and was alienated from the joy of the Lord so that you and I could have it and always have it. The source of God's joy is his steadfast love proved to us by what Jesus accomplished. If Jesus wants you wants me to live in joy, to have this joy. Because he said to, his, he said to, to the 12, uh, the, the apostles, the night before he was executed, he said, I've spoken to you all these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So wow, if Jesus, if he died so that we could have this joy, if he wants us to have his joy, what possibly more can you ask for in your beings? We have many needs, we have many legitimate needs. The world has many legitimate needs, but what possibly more can you ask him for than his joy? Johnny Erickson Tata, I think, I think it's fair to say that she has accomplished more throughout her life from a wheelchair than everybody in this room combined, perhaps from, from a human perspective. And she talks about the joy of the Lord. She said, it's when your soul has been blasted bare, when you feel raw and undone, it's then that you meet joy on God's terms. She says, it's when you feel raw and undone and uh, that you can be better bonded to the Savior. And then you not only meet suffering on God's terms, but you also meet joy on God's terms. And then God will happily share his gladness, his joy, which then in turn 
always streams out to others in a flood of encouragement and then erupts back to God in an ecstatic fountain of praise. He gets your heart pumping for heaven. There it is. He gets your heart pumping for heaven. He injects his peace, his power, his perspective into your spiritual being. He imparts a new way of looking at your hardships. And then, and then she brings us full circle with Psalm 40. And she says, he puts a song in your heart. So the Christian must seek God's joy almost more than you seek God's help. Now, if you're with us online or if you're with us here today and you are not a Christian, I want you to consider this. Think less of God as one who can help and think of God more as one who is your help. Seek Him more than relief from your suffering. Prioritize His joy above your deliverance. Deliverance will come, but you often have to wait for it. But joy can be yours right now. And then you, and I can join David when he sings, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, and say it with me, I invite you to say it with me, Great is the Lord. Amen. The Christian life is it's a quest for joy in Jesus. We are on a journey to find joy in Jesus until that is enough for us. So remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As the musicians come back, to, back up to lead us in singing, let's pray. Our Father, thank you that Jesus saw, he saw our reconciliation to you. He saw righteousness and justice raining down from your throne to remake humanity and to make all things new someday. We thank you that he saw all of that and it brought him joy. Joy that was so great that it, it did not stop him from enduring the pain and the humiliation of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, thank you. Amen.